Chapter Three of My Life: The Story of a Provincial by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty-one to nineteen forty-six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three. A railway line was being constructed in our neighborhood. On the eve of feast days, the streets were thronged with ragged fellows whom the townspeople called navvies and of whom they were afraid and more than once i had seen one of these tatterdemalions with a blood-stained countenance being led to the police station while a samovar or some linen wet from the wash was carried behind by way of material evidence the navvies usually congregated about the taverns in the market-place they drank ate and used bad language and pursued with shrill whistles every woman of light behaviour who passed by to entertain this hungry rabble our shopkeepers made cats and dogs drunk with vodka or tied an old kerosene can to a dog's tail a hue and cry was raised and the dog dashed along the street jingling the can squealing with terror it fancied some monster was close upon its heels it would run far out of the town into the open country and there sink exhausted there were in the town several dogs who went about trembling with their tails between their legs and people said this diversion had been too much for them and had driven them mad a station was being built four miles from the town it was said that the engineers asked for a bribe of fifty thousand roubles for bringing the line right up to the town but the town council would only consent to give forty thousand they could not come to an agreement over the difference and now the townspeople regretted it as they had to make a road to the station and that it was reckoned would cost more the sleepers and rails had been laid throughout the whole length of the line and trains ran up and down it bringing building materials and labourers and further progress was only delayed on account of the bridges which dolzhikov was building and some of the stations were not yet finished dubechnia as our first station was called was a little under twelve miles from the town i walked the cornfields bathed in the morning sunshine were bright green it was a flat cheerful country and in the distance there were the distinct outlines of the station of ancient barrows and far-away homesteads how nice it was out there in the open and how i longed to be filled with a sense of freedom if only for that one morning that i might not think of what was being done in the town not think of my needs not feel hungry nothing has so marred my existence as an acute feeling of hunger which made images of buckwheat porridge risoles and baked fish mingle strangely with my best thoughts here i was standing alone in the open country gazing upward at a lark which hovered in the air at the same spot trilling as though in hysterics and meanwhile i was thinking how nice it would be to eat a piece of bread and butter or i would sit down by the roadside to rest and shut my eyes to listen to the delicious sounds of may and what haunted me was the smell of hot potatoes though i was tall and strongly built i had as a rule little to eat and so the predominant sensation throughout the day was hunger and perhaps that was why i knew so well how it is that such multitudes of people toil merely for their daily bread and can talk of nothing but things to eat at dubechnia they were plastering the inside of the station and building a wooden upper story to the pumping shed it was hot there was a smell of lime and the workmen sauntered listlessly between the heaps of shavings and mortar rubble the pointsman lay asleep near his sentry-box 
and the sun was blazing full on his face there was not a single tree the telegraph wire hummed faintly and hawks were perching on it here and there i wandering too among the heaps of rubbish and not knowing what to do recalled how the engineer in answer to my question what my duties would consist in had said we shall see when you are there but what could one see in that wilderness the plasterers spoke of the foreman and of a certain vyodot vasilyev i did not understand and gradually i was overcome by depression the physical depression in which one is conscious of one's arms and legs and huge body and does not know what to do with them or where to put them after i had been walking about for at least a couple of hours i noticed that there were telegraph poles running off to the right from the station and that they ended a mile or a mile and a half away at a white stone wall the workmen told me the office was there and at last i reflected that that was where i ought to go it was a very old manor-house deserted long ago the wall round it a porous white stone was mouldering and had fallen away in places and the lodge the blank wall of which looked out on the open country had a rusty roof with patches of tin plate gleaming here and there on it within the gates could be seen a spacious courtyard overgrown with rough weeds and an old manor-house with sun-blinds on the windows and a high roof red with rust two lodges exactly alike stood one on each side of the house to right and to left one had its windows nailed up with boards near the other of which the windows were open there was washing on the line and there were calves moving about the last of the telegraph poles stood in the courtyard and the wire from it ran to the window of the lodge of which the blank wall looked out into the open country the door stood open i went in by the telegraph apparatus a gentleman with a curly dark head wearing a reefer coat made of sailcloth was sitting at a table he glanced at me morosely from under his brows but immediately smiled and said hello better than nothing it was ivan chepraikov an old schoolfellow of mine who had been expelled from the second class for smoking we used at one time during autumn to catch goldfinches finches and linnets together and to sell them in the market early in the morning while our parents were still in their beds we watched for flocks of migrating starlings and shot at them with small shot then we picked up those that were wounded and some of them died in our hands in terrible agonies i remember to this day how they moaned in the cage at night those that recovered we sold and swore with the utmost effrontery that they were all cocks on one occasion at the market i had only one starling left which i had offered to purchasers in vain till at last i sold it for a farthing anyway it's better than nothing i said to comfort myself as i put the farthing in my pocket and from that day the street urchins and the schoolboys called after me better than nothing and to this day the street boys and the shopkeepers mock at me with the nickname though no one remembers how it arose chepraikov was not of robust constitution he was narrow-chested round-shouldered and long-legged he wore a silk cord for a tie had no trace of a waistcoat and his boots were worse than mine with the heels trodden down on one side he stared hardly even blinking with a strained expression as though he were just going to catch something and he was always in a fuss you wait a minute he would say fussily you listen whatever was i talking about we got into conversation i learned that the estate on which i now was had until recently been the property of the chepraikovs and had only the autumn before passed into the possession of dolzhikov 
who considered it more profitable to put his money into land than to keep it in notes and had already bought up three good-sized mortgaged estates in our neighbourhood at the sale Chepikov's mother had reserved for herself the right to live for the next two years in one of the lodges at the side and had obtained a post for her son in the office i should think he could buy Chepikov said of the engineer see what he fleeces out of the contractors alone he fleeces every one then he took me to dinner deciding fussily that i should live with him in the lodge and have my meals from his mother she is a bit stingy he said but she won't charge you much it was very cramped in the little rooms in which his mother lived they were all even the passage and the entry piled up with furniture which had been brought from the big house after the sale and the furniture was all old-fashioned mahogany madame Cheprakov, a very stout middle-aged lady with slanting chinese eyes was sitting in a big armchair by the window knitting a stocking she received me ceremoniously this is polozhnov mamma Cheprakov introduced me he is going to serve here are you a nobleman she asked in a strange disagreeable voice it seemed to me to sound as though fat were bubbling in her throat yes i answered sit down the dinner was a poor one nothing was served but pies filled with bitter curd and milk soup elena nikiforovna who presided kept blinking in a queer way first with one eye and then with the other she talked she ate but yet there was something deathly about her whole figure and one almost fancied the faint smell of a corpse there was only a glimmer of life in her a glimmer of consciousness that she had been a lady who had once had her own serfs that she was the widow of a general whom the servants had to address as your excellency and when these feeble relics of life flickered up in her for an instant she would say to her son jean you are not holding your knife properly or she would say to me drawing a deep breath with the mincing air of a hostess trying to entertain a visitor you know we have sold our estate of course it is a pity we are used to the place but dolzhikov has promised to make jean station-master of dubetchnya so we shall not have to go away we shall live here at the station and that is just the same as being on our own property the engineer is so nice don't you think he is very handsome until recently the Cheprakovs had lived in a wealthy style but since the death of the general everything had been changed elena nikiforovna had taken to quarrelling with the neighbours to going to law and to not paying her bailiffs or her labourers she was in constant terror of being robbed and in some ten years dubetchnya had become unrecognisable behind the great house was an old garden which had already run wild and was overgrown with rough weeds and bushes i walked up and down the veranda which was still solid and beautiful through the glass doors one could see a room with parquetted floor probably the drawing-room an old-fashioned piano and pictures in deep mahogany frames there was nothing else in the old flower-beds all that remained were peonies and poppies which lifted their white and bright red heads above the grass young maples and elms already nibbled by the cows grew beside the paths drawn up and hindering each other's growth the garden was thickly overgrown and seemed impassable but this was only near the house where there stood poplars fir-trees and old lime-trees all of the same age relics of the former avenues further on beyond them the garden had been cleared for the sake of hay and here it was not moist and stuffy and there were no spiders webs in one's mouth and eyes a light breeze was blowing the further one went the more open it was 
and here in the open space were cherries plums and spreading apple-trees disfigured by props and by canker and pear-trees were so tall that one could not believe they were pear-trees this part of the garden was let to some shopkeepers of the town and it was protected from thieves and starlings by a feeble-minded peasant who lived in a shanty in it the garden growing more and more open till it became definitely a meadow sloped down to the river which was overgrown with green weeds and osiers near the mill-dam was the mill-pond deep and full of fish a little mill with a thatched roof was working away with a wrathful sound and frogs croaked furiously circles passed from time to time over the smooth mirror-like water and the water-lilies trembled stirred by the lively fish on the further side of the river was the little village dubechnia the still blue mill-pond was alluring with its promise of coolness and peace and now all this the mill-pond and the mill and the snug-looking banks belonged to the engineer and so my new work began i received and forwarded telegrams wrote various reports and made fair copies of the notes of requirements the complaints and the reports sent to the office by the illiterate foremen and workmen but for the greater part of the day i did nothing but walk about the room waiting for telegrams or made a boy sit in the lodge while i went for a walk in the garden until the boy ran to tell me that there was a tapping at the operating machine i had dinner at madame chepricoff's meat we had very rarely our dishes were all made of milk and wednesdays and fridays were fast days and on those days we had pink plates which were called lenten plates madame chepricoff was continually blinking it was her invariable habit and i always felt ill at ease in her presence as there was not enough work in the lodge for one chepricoff did nothing but simply dozed or went with his gun to shoot ducks on the mill-pond in the evenings he drank too much in the village or the station and before going to bed stared in the looking-glass and said hello ivan chepricoff when he was drunk he was very pale and kept rubbing his hands and laughing with a sound like a neigh <laughs> by way of bravado he used to strip and run about the country naked he used to eat flies and say they were rather sour End of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine